Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Oh, yeah. Sure and also, also some surprises along the way. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Bump to be a surprise. For example, my name is Kenyon. <gasps> what? Ooh. My name is Lucy. <laughs> My name is Amanda. And how well do you ever really know a person? Not well. In my case, not well. Never meet a man. No. Or a man. Or anyone. Or Amanda. <laughs> oh. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm, I love my case so much. I'm I love excited to get so into much. it. I can't I don't wait for your case. Coming. I love my case because I hate the guy in it so much. Okay. And he's a fucking idiot. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's good. All right. Well, uh, we have a very special fan pick this week brought to you by Gabby Folk. Oh, she's I just love- gabbing with the folks. What a great last name. Mm. Gabby says, quote, I'd love to dedicate the episode to my mom, Melanie, and my sister, Kate. Oh, I'm their my mom. Ma- my mom, Melanie, and my sister, Kate. Oh. Eight. And oh. I'm their gateway gal, and they are welcome. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. And also, they're pretty great and all that jazz. And all that jazz. Good Lord. Well, you're definitely going to appreciate <laughs> your mom more at the end of this episode. Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's get right to it. I'm too excited. Amanda, what is our wine crime pairing for Shyamalan twists? Yes. <laughs> you guys are going to think I'm so stupid. Oh, no. Well, we already do. I know. <laughs> I You've proven love, it time and I've again. I've proven it so many times. I love this pairing so much because my... Okay, I had two qualifiers. One... I wanted it to get me drunk because I am actually drinking today. I have, a, I'm officially negative for COVID. I feel Woo! better than I felt in weeks, so I'm gonna ruin you it. Sound by better. Drunk. I do sound better. Yeah. So, okay, I guess three qualifiers. I wanted to be able to get drunk. I wanted again. My wine inventory is so bonkers right now that I wanted to not have to purchase something else mm-hmm. and add to that inventory. And it needed to be a twist off. Yes. <laughs> Shyamalan twist. Because this episode is basically a twist off. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's a twist off. You're mm-hmm. going to win. I didn't even try to contend with you. I know you <laughs> too well to even try. I just picked something that I thought won. would be fun. It's hard to do a twist when you're already expecting a twist. Right, when you know it's a twist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But hopefully but I can still pull one out. I think it's going to be great. And I had a bottle of sake. Oh, you're going to get lit. I knew you You were going to do sake. (laughs) I fucking knew it in my soul. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. I actually don't think 
it might not be available anymore. This was a Wink purchase that mm-hmm. I got because, you know, I love my Wink and I love my sake. And while I'm not going to do like a full blown Wink explanation, just go to trywink.com forward slash gals. Get 20 bucks off your first order and just join them. They're just amazing. do it. Treat yourself. Just freaking do it. But this is Lucky Look Futsushu Sake. <laughs> so this is a specific category of sake that is for like everyday. It's like a table sake. It's like the everyday okay. drinkability. The point of Futsushu is to make the best tasting sake for the best value. So it means it's going to be like less expensive. Mm-hmm. It's going to taste really good. But it also can mean that there are not as many governmental designation rules to guide oh. this style of sake. Okay, fingers crossed for your health. This was a I mean, bold choice for your she's fine. for I think a vacuum to drinking. <laughs> I think it's going to be amazing. It's made. This is like if, unregulated rice wine. Let's it's go. It's not unregulated. <laughs> it's distributed by Wink. It was made in Japan. Unregulated. It's fourteen percent ABV, and I'm obsessed, and I'm mm-hmm. so excited. So Excellent. should we? Go ahead and crack this twist off. Let's twist it, it, baby. Here we go. Ooh. Oh. That was a shocking nice twist. crack. Oh, this tastes <laughs> drunk. <laughs> I'm I drinking water out so of a sort of clean glass. Mm. My glass is clean. I, I got clean this, glass, too. I got this set of... Um, glasses from my friend Tasha, who might be listening, I'm not sure, but if you are, hi Tasha, I love you, uh, for our engagement, and it's like a his and hers glassware set, and it's a rocks glass that says, I have everything I need, and then the wine glass that says, I am everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's very perfect. I love Cute. it so much. <laughs> Gonna put this back in my fridge until I'm definitely empty and I need more. Okay. So that's my segment. That's our and wine. Perfect. Enjoy. <laughs> All right. Lucy, what is our background and maybe psych for Shyamalan twists? I got no psych. Twist. There's no psych. Twist. Mm-hmm. There's no psych. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Manoj Neliatu M. Night Shyamalan was Love. born on August 6th, 1970. So as we record, his birthday's in two days. <gasps> Yeah. Happy birthday That's to okay. you. No. He's listening. He's I don't even like I don't even like M. that song when Shyamalan. it's directed at presents you. birthday. Happy <laughs> birthday to you. I just like harmonizing at the end. Happy yep. birthday to you. Happy <laughs> birthday dear Creed. <laughs> Dogs everywhere are just screaming. <laughs> yeah, freaking yeah, out. I couldn't sing that with COVID, <laughs> could ya? Wow. Suck it. Okay, he was born August 6, 1970 in Mahe, which is in Pondicherry, India. Mm-hmm. I've been there. That's where Pi wow. was from in Life nice. of Pi. It's a very, like, cute city, and it has, like, lots of, like, arts and culture and, like, a big French influence. You've been to Mahe? No, I've been to Pondicherry. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Cool. I mean, maybe I've been to Mahe it's, if it's just a neighborhood in Pondicherry. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. So he was born to some very accomplished parents. His father, Dr. Neliyatu C. Shamalan, is a neurologist. And his mother, Dr. Jayalakshmi, is an OBGYN. Both doctors? Yes. Oh, my God. Doctor and I think doctor. I, I mm-hmm. think I would die if I was raised by two doctors. The pressure Man. to achieve. It'd be well, tough. We'll get to yeah. it. His They'd parents- be disappointed in all of my <laughs> life choices. His parents obviously didn't love Pondicherry that much because they emigrated to the U.S. when he was six weeks old. Wow. <laughs> Damn, so that's a long flight. He mm. didn't live in... With a six-week-old child, my India God. for very long, yeah. Shyamalan was raised in Penn Valley, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. We just talked about Pennsylvania extensively. Yep. He was given a Super 8 camera at the age of eight, igniting a passion for filmmaking. That's it. very cute. A super and eight camera like for the eighth birthday. all of his birthday. movies connected somehow to Pennsylvania, too? Like, every single one that most, he does? Most of them were shot in Phil- in or around Philadelphia. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense for his the show that I really like on Apple TV that he's doing. What the fuck's it called? Oh. Servants. So and we'll get to it. <gasps> yeah. I want to watch that. You're, you would love it. Oh. He lives near Philadelphia, just outside of Philadelphia, in a oh, gorgeous house. Mm-hmm. He also has a fear of flying, which Good is one of the reasons why all of his movies are shot around yeah, he's not the area. Travel? Are you kidding? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did, and they're done that at six weeks old. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> he did travel to make the movie old. Because mm-hmm, I was like I on also a watched. rocky beach. Mm-hmm. I'm scared to watch that. Also, fun fact, that was okay. shot during hurricane season. So like every single day they were filming outside. The whole thing was filmed like on the beach on this island. Mm-hmm. So they were very uh, weary, wary about the weather. That'd be yeah. really scary. Was that rough. filmed in the DR? I think so. Yeah. I forgot wh- where, somewhere in the Caribbean. I think it was because we watched it and then we went on our baby moon to the Dominican Republic and Zach claimed that that is where it was shot. Hmm. Well, there's no way to know. Yep. I'll Google it Can't later. look that up. By the time he finished <laughs> high school at the age of 17, he had made 45 home movies. Jeez. So he was good like, for him. almost as many it. as us. Mm hmm. <laughs> we had made 45 ritualistic video we, we made a lot. sacrifices of Matt. And they all involved poisoning our husbands. Oh, yeah. For they life insurance money. Wig. They can never see the light of day. It's all blackmail. It's, it's called blackmail. It's all on the blackmail DVD compilation that you made and distributed to all of us. Yeah. Don't show anyone else. Too late. <laughs> So, though he was raised in a Hindu household, he attended a private Catholic elementary school and private Episcopal. I never know how to say that. Episcopal. Episcopal. EpiPen middle and high schools. Mm -hmm. He did not love the experience, saying that he remembers the Catholic teachers saying that anyone who wasn't baptized was going to hell, which Mm -hmm. as an elementary school student is... A little, a little scary disturbing. to hear from a Very your traumatizing. Teacher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another teacher got mad that he got the best score in the class on a test, even though he, quote, wasn't even Catholic. Okay, because that is the identifier of your intelligence. Mm-hmm. How Catholic you are. Despite some bitchy teacher experiences, he earned the New York University Merit Scholarship in 1988, and he was also a National Merit Scholar. Fuck yeah. 
Apparently right those kid. Are, yeah. Two different things. His father, like we sort of alluded, really wanted him to become a doctor, but his mother encouraged him to follow his dreams. Love so it. Shyamalan attended New York University's Tisch School of the Arts in Manhattan, Damn. graduating in our year of the Lord, 1992. I had no idea he went to Tisch. That's fucking badass. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it was while studying there that he adopted Knight as his second name. I love mm. it. So M. Knight Shyamalan. Just because he was like into horror stuff? Not even. Not, it just I mean, sounds rad. He just liked it. It just worked. He really liked Agatha Christie. He Cute. liked thriller mystery stuff. There wasn't any reasoning that I could find why he said why he wanted Knight as his name. Okay, I fucking love that, like, M. Night Shyamalan had Agatha Christie inspo. I think that's so precious. Mm -hmm. It makes well, sense. There are several yeah. Agatha Christie mentions in the research that I did, and also I have a quote closer to the end about it. Mm -hmm. Rad, I love it. So he made his first film while still at NYU, and it was called Praying with Anger. And it was sort of like autobiographical, kind of. Maybe a way to like process through some trauma of some being Catholic, in the Catholic school, school trauma system. Yeah. system. Yeah, it was about like an Indian teenager like finding himself. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he wrote and directed his second film called Wide Awake, which actually featured some big names such as Wide Awake, Wide Awake, such as I'm not okay. Stepped on a Rake. <laughs> <laughs> Stepped on a rake is the best one. <laughs> Stepped on a rake. Your bag is fake. <laughs> Your bag is fake. <laughs> the bus is late. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Amanda visited me a while ago, and for whatever reason, we were I was doing high. that. I was high. I was high. weekend. I don't know. I just started doing it, and then <laughs> everyone started doing it, and we were sobbing, laughing, because it was just so fucking stupid, and we kept finding, like, dumber ones to do. That fit. A lot fit. That fit a really lot well. Fit. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, so his second <laughs> film, What Awake, featured Dennis Leary, Julia Stiles, and no. Rosie O'Donnell. What? Like, star fucking studded. Yeah. Studded. But also, like, tell me you reached into a hat and pulled out names without <laughs> telling me you reached into a hat. Right? Who's around this weekend? Okay, uh, well, I was able to track <laughs> it down was like Julia Stiles. That's a get. That's a get. Okay. Mad Libs. Celebrity <laughs> Mad Libs. Yeah. This one's weird, but I think we can make it fit. Rosie O'Donnell's free? <laughs> Sign her up. Get me Dennis Rosie. Dennis Leary's been out of the news for a while. It's probably pretty cheap. Okay. It was just the 90s, so Dennis Leary was a get. Oh, yeah. You're right. And he was a get. All three were very 90s gals. Yeah. All right. That is yeah, star-studded. Mm -hmm. You're right. You're right. So despite this... Beautiful <laughs> casting job. It didn't do great pulling in only a little over $300,000 against a $6 million budget. Um, I want to watch this movie. Where can we get Ouch. it? Yeah. Uh, probably for free anywhere. I'm going to look it up. <laughs> YouTube. <What a> <laughs> um, I was also shocked to learn, get ready for this, that Shyamalan was a ghostwriter for fucking She's All That. I knew that. How? I don't know how. I think because we watched She's All That 
No, but he was a ghostwriter. I don't he know how I knew. He was not listed. He was not given credit for this. Maybe we Googled M. Night Shyamalan when we watched Servant. Oh. I don't know. But I learned this factoid recently, and it is mm-hmm. wild. And he's given, mm-hmm. like, interviews about it. Yeah. This is amazing because that movie is incredible yeah. and, like, holds up. Yeah. He, I mean, Yeah. I had mixed feelings about him before I started that my research, but I oh, actually I love M. I really like him now. Look, not every uh, movie you make is going to work, but no, like but watch some of them. The Visit, holy shit, that movie is good. We'll get to it. Oh, so uh, scary. So scary. He also co-wrote the screenplay for the like computer animated Stuart Little. <laughs> oh my <laughs> <knew>? God. Uh, <laughs> it's like cute. He ha- he is a Shyamalan of many hats. Uh, he is a living Shyamalan twist. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he this man is full of surprises. Shyamalan gained international recognition when he wrote and directed 1999's The Sixth Sense, which mm-hmm. became the starring second- young Lucy Fitzgerald. <laughs> yeah. I remember screaming out loud. <laughs> At Nisha Barton. <laughs> yes, when, she, Vomiting. when he, she flipped open the tent or whatever. And yeah. she's just standing there. She's under pale, the table. Sunken eyes, puke rolling out of her mouth. But yeah, when she pushes the box with the VHS tape out from under the dresser, that is Lucy. Yeah. yeah. We That's replayed exactly that what moment. Lucy looked like at that yeah. age. Yeah. Body, body frame, sunken eyes, puke hair, bob haircut. Set middle part, probably. Middle part. A little yep. bit thin hair, mm-hmm. just Mousy absolutely brown. perfect. Little mouse. <laughs> I'll own it. I mean, <laughs> that movie's incredible. Choice. It's so good. It added Rejoice. an extra layer Rejoice. of authenticity to all of our movie viewing experiences. Yep. I'm the creepy one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nothing I'm, has changed. I'm not okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not okay. <laughs> I discovered concealer and that really changed the game. We all swanned out in various ways. <laughs> yeah, we all had different eras of of uh, mm-hmm. of thriving and <laughs> of, uh, and, not and, so not much thriving and, and not thriving and super not aesthetic yeah. issues. Uh huh. Aesthetic issues. I like that. So, The Sixth Sense became the second highest grossing horror film of all time. I recently rewatched it, and it's it holds so fucking good. Yeah, yeah. I I think yeah. I'm due for a rewatch. Mm-hmm. The Sixth Sense was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Original Screenplay. And Shyamalan himself became the first Indian American to be nominated for both Best Director and Best Original Screenplay. And I mean, Tony Collette. Oh, my God. I can't. Like, Mm -hmm. she's so iconic. Yeah. I know. He's good. God bless Bruce. He's so good. He's not going to be doing anything anymore, but he's so good. Mm And it was Billy Joel Osmond's first film. Mm-hmm. Haley mm-hmm. Joel Osmond, but yes. I know. I just like saying Billy Joel Osmond. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even catch it. I know. I you was didn't. like, yeah. <laughs> loved, yes, it was. Loved his work. <laughs> loved his work in American Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But honestly, wake me up when September ends. <laughs> so Shyamalan said that the film was inspired by an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? 
Yup. Specifically, the episode called The Tale of the Dream Girl, where the premise was that the lead characters are being ignored by their friends and family, and they don't understand why until they're, they're dead. They're dead at the end of the episode. Are you afraid of Spoiler. the Spoiler is so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's my favorite. You can stream them all on Paramount Plus. This is not a paid ad. I just need <laughs> everyone to know. Not a drill. <laughs> I'm cold. I I'm get like a, a rush of like oxytocin when I yeah. see the, the 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 match lighting. Are you kidding mm-hmm. me? That opening sound where it's like. And then it's like a creaking boat. Mm-hmm. I like lose my shit. Mm-hmm. It's so good. <laughs> I was raised on television. These shows made me who I am today. <laughs> I didn't have cable for a lot of years, so uh, I missed out on a lot. My grandma had it. I could only watch it at my grandma's house, which probably mm-hmm. added to the good memories because I could like, she had two cats. Her house always smelled good. She always had M&Ms in a dish. Mm. Mm. Everything Classic you need grandma. as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Two cats and M&M's in a dish and some cable. That's it. Done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Who needs health care? I'm good. <laughs> we pushed her L-shaped couch together to make a boat, a bed boat. I oh, love gotta that. Gotta make a nest at yep. a grandma's make, house. Yep. yep. Making a nest at grandma's house is uh, something I was never allowed to do because my grandmother would not let you move or soil <laughs> a thing in her home. <laughs> either, uh, frankly, either grandmother. Well, who would want to sleep a on vi- a plastic couch cover anyway? <laughs> Literally, my grandma Helen's furniture in her living room for like decades was like wrought iron outdoor furniture with those like rubbery cushions on them because she loved the like Baroque look. Oh my God, what a weirdo. Yeah, it was the least comfortable furniture. She never owned a comfortable chair. (laughs) And she got rid of my grandpa John's lounge chair because it was hideous and replaced it with this like, I'm looking at it right now, this like French hand carved. I mean, it's a stunning (laughs) chair, but my grandpa was like, I can't fucking sit in this. So he would like sit in a lawn chair in the garage. I'm old. I cannot sit in this. He like hung out in the garage or he, I think he was allowed to have his recliner. In the lawn chair. I think he was also allowed to have his recliner in the unfinished basement where he kept his tools. (laughs) (laughs) He just went down there and sat in the dark. Are the you only, afraid of the dark? It's the only comfortable <laughs> place for him to go. Poor oh bastard. Oh, my God. Gramps. Bless him. Yeah. Oh so God. making a fort would have been more of a visiting Auntie Gail. Move. A nest. Mm-hmm. Nest, mm-hmm. yes. Oh, bless Gail. I love mm-hmm. that bitch. Mm-hmm. Okay, fun <laughs> fact about The Sixth Sense. This is from Cracked.com. Mm-hmm. When he read the script, Walt Disney Studios' then-president David Vogel didn't bother going through the customary channels and immediately bought the rights to The Sixth Sense. Vogel's boss was livid. They had to get Spyglass Entertainment to finance the movie, leaving Disney with only a 12.5% distribution earning, Mm, considering how fucking successful that movie was. Yeah. So he was fired soon after that. Was it like, uh, was he furious because it was like an image thing? Like, we don't want Disney's name on this, like, horror genre? Or like, why was he mad? No, I mean, Disney owns a whole shitload of whatever. But I think he was mad because... He, he like, like he wasn't the, involved. In he the didn't process. get the proper permissions. They didn't. They didn't like go through negotiate. the numbers. It's like they ego didn't negotiate more than anything else. It sounds like he just saw something that he wanted, so he snatched it up so quickly without 
a whole lot of background research. Which, sure, which that would be. painted them into a corner to only get 12.5% of their distribution earnings. Mm. So okay. it wasn't a good move. Mm. Not that Shyamalan cared, but. Mm-hmm. Another fun fact about his movies that I didn't put in here is that most of them have some element of a car crash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For example, in The Sixth Sense, at the end, when he's talking to Tony Collette in the car, and mm-hmm. there's like the dead lady outside the window. She's mm-hmm. right outside the window. It They're, they're stopped in traffic because there was a car accident up ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Signs, how Mel Gibson's wife dies. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Car accident. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trying to think. I don't think there's not really one. Servant oh! involves a car and an accident. In the okay. village, wasn't one of the people who had experienced some sort of trauma, they had like lost their child in a car accident or something? I don't fucking remember. I don't know. But that movie's most, really good, too. Most though. of them involve a car accident. I didn't know that. That's cool. Mm. And sad. So Shyamalan was also approached to direct, are you ready, Amanda, one oh of the God. Harry Potter movies on three separate occasions, three and he was separate like, films. No, J.K. Rowling's a turf. I won't touch it. I think it was before we all knew that. <laughs> I know. Maybe he knew. Shyamalan <laughs> twist. He, he knew. <laughs> no. Fine. So he, he offered to direct the first film in the franchise on the recommendation of his friend and idol, Steven Spielberg, but he turned it down due to commitments for the movie Unbreakable. Mm. After the massive success of Signs, he was again approached to direct for Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, and then later for Which Harry Potter. Which has a Shyamalan twist. There's there's a big Shyamalan twist in that book. Mm. Turned movie. Okay. okay. About uh, Sirius Black. Mm. So, would have been a good fit. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. And then later for Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, but he turned both films down to work on The Village, and then also his since-dismissed adaptation of The Life of Pi. So he was going to he was too busy. do the Life of Pi movie, but somebody Something else got ended up doing it. Yeah. He did want to direct the Harry Potter movies, though, saying, quote, the themes that run through it, the empowering of children, a positive outlook, you name it, it falls in line with my beliefs. Mm-hmm. I enjoy the humor in it. When I read the first Harry Potter and was thinking about making it, I had a whole different vibe in my head of it. So that mm-hmm. would have turned out very really different. different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But these meetings, these Harry Potter meetings, were also where he met Rupert Grint, who plays Ron Weasley and who now appears in the show Servant on Apple TV. Yeah, he's that, in that? Oh, yeah, he's mm. one of the main characters. Okay, I got to start this tonight. I know, yeah, give me your login. Gonna, you're going to okay. freaking love it. I've, I've been saying so for months. I don't remember you talking about Servant, but she's, I did. She's told me because I like okay. M. Night Shyamalan. I did watch um, Severance on your recommendation and loved mm-hmm. it. So I'm not blowing you off. I just don't remember you saying that. So I'll start it tonight. Okay. Great. I'll, I'll report back. Okay. Don't be mad at me. I'm not mad. I'm happy. <laughs> she's serious. I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm not mad. My back hurts. So my face is unhappy. That's okay. the grimace. Yeah. I was like, why are you? <laughs> no, I got me. My back just really hurts. <laughs> okay. Very fragile. Onto the village, the ending of which Kenyon totally ruined for me. Do you remember I, this? I called that twist so five fast. minutes into the movie. I'm yes. actually shocked that you did because I did not I called see that it, coming. Literally, I called it in my own brain. Like yeah, like Lucy said, like five minutes into the opening movie. credits. Yeah, in your own brain. You, ha- I have a vivid memory of you just eating <laughs> buttered popcorn out. and just going, <laughs> "I bet you." 
that this <laughs> takes place in modern times and that's going to be the twist at the end. And I was this like, you Kenyon's bitch. trauma for being forced to work at I'm, like fucking Fort Snelling as like a butter I'm churner. Murphy's Landing. Yes. Murphy's yeah. Landing. That's right. One, yes, we had done camps at Murphy's <laughs> Landing, so I was well aware of that. The, the existence of these villages. The village. And <laughs> these two, villages. <laughs> I'm really good at guessing twists and things, and it drives Zach nuts. <laughs> I can just hear you, like, smacking your popcorn. I bet he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. he's been dead Butter the whole time. all over your lips. <laughs> I bet modern you. Day. I bet. I'm really, I'm really good at it, and and really it bad does. at keeping it to yourself. Well, you get so much as the guesser, you get so Joy much more of satisfaction <laughs> of being right if you say it out loud and you have a witness, right? And you're not at the end being like knew it the whole time, and then as, people are like, "The fuck you didn't." As the person watching with you who would have enjoyed experiencing, <laughs> that I should twist write it down in real time. You should you should write it down and then With hold it up and get a stamp. photo of you holding the day's newspaper or something. Yeah, holding a yeah. clock. Or just yeah. write it down and then At get the up and like slide set it, it next over to, to the Lucy. TV. Yep. Oh, I like this. This is a mm-hmm. good, this could be a game. I like this. this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would win. I'm okay, really fucking good actually, at it. I would actually 100% love to play this where both parties watching do it at the top, put their... Mm-hmm. guesses by the TV, watch the movie, and then they reveal at the end if they knew. Mm-hmm. I'm adopting this. I love this. Okay. Yeah. Yep. We solved Kenyon's biggest <laughs> marital dispute. You're welcome. Speaking of Murphy's Landing, oh, God. Shyamalan had his actors for the village go through a 19th century boot camp to get them prepared for their roles. I believe yeah. it. So, like, I'm prepared. Empty a yeah. latrine, honey. Empty we that chamber pot. Sit Weave, in a baby. pioneer mm. cabin house and like hand an old woman tufts of fucking wool. wool. She was carding wool. <laughs> yeah. In the July. It was really Holy hot. Shit. In like layer in, upon layer yeah, of crinoline. Petticoats. Petticoat. Yeah. Horse hair petticoat. And bonnets. And then like once every four hours, a tourist family would come in and be like, oh, I bet you've never seen one of these before. Like with like a camera and like take our picture. <laughs> and they were like, oh, a futuristic item. She's a witch. Burn She's her. A witch. <laughs> and Lucy and, and I would be every- like, we need to go fetch water like every 30 minutes. Go out every- to the parking lot, just sit in my car for a couple minutes. With the AC <laughs> yeah. blast. Listening the radio and the AC, occasionally KDWB. driving to Taco Bell and in coming back. In your fucking car. We did. We went bonnets. to Taco Bell in bonnets. It went to the drive. No shoes. Full regalia. (laughs) Snuck away to go to Taco Bell. Yep. (laughs) It was awful. But really funny. Come back back with just like one diced tomato stuck in your bodice. (laughs) And like shredded cheese mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Chewing on one of those cinnamon twists. God, it's just the worst ever. Wow, you got that's so dumb. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> Shyamalan was also approached to direct 2000's Spider Man, 
2002's Batman and the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but he turned all of those down for other projects also. I wish he had done the the Narnia one because it's not as good as the BBC version. Yeah. At all. Would have been good. And despite being a massive Steven Spielberg fan, he also said no to writing the fourth installment of Indiana Jones because he had such such respect and high regard for it. He didn't want to fuck it up. Mm-hmm. So he said, quote, I was asked, but it didn't work out. It was a tricky, tricky thing to get the four of us, meaning himself, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, and Harrison Ford together at the same time and on the same page. It was just a tricky time. I didn't think it was the right thing for me to do. So he didn't want I, it to feel like cobbled together or like he couldn't give fair. it his full attention. That's really fair. I heard s- somewhere recently that like somebody asked if like Chris Pratt maybe wanted to be the next Indiana Jones and he like talked to Harrison Ford about about it and Harrison Ford was like don't you get it I'm Indiana Jones when mm-hmm. I go it's gone oh also fuck you Chris <laughs> Pratt yeah I don't like Chris Pratt <laughs> eat my ass <laughs> Pratt Pratt But uh, so he might actually have been better off with those movies because beginning in 2006, Shyamalan hit a little bit of a bummer streak. Yeah. With The Lady in the Water. Which I think is actually good. I don't think that's in the bummer pile personally. It's not my kind of movie. It's not. It's not The Sixth Sense, but it's a beautiful movie. Also followed by The Happening. Worst movie ever made. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely awful. Mark Wahlberg is already trash for a thousand reasons. Mm-hmm. But his, it was like, what he was, was that one about? That's the one where the trees the are trying to kill trees. people. They oh, make God. people yeah. die by suicide. Zoe Deschanel, who I already am like, meh. Like everyone gets it. You're like a quirky hipster and you sing like that. I like no one gives a fuck, but whatever. <laughs> I, she drives me nuts too. But Mark Wahlberg, it was like given the specific instruction to be the worst possible actor he could muster being. Mm-hmm. in the happening mm-hmm. i'm convinced i saw that in theaters and i left a gape i had no <laughs> idea what i had just experienced <laughs> see i kind of thought that way about signs i didn't think signs was very good well I like you're signs. insane signs is amazing okay <laughs> so bye-bye so the happening followed by the last airbender followed Wolf. by after earth I never saw that. That's the one with Will Smith and one of his kids. Mm-hmm. Um, fun fact about After Earth, the production company purposely didn't put Shyamalan's name on the movie poster because they were afraid it would scare people away. It would turn people off from it. <laughs> because the oh. movies had been so bad Because he had such a bad he had streak. A bummer streak. It became like a thing. <laughs> it was. He became it was like a meme. Like, yeah. Yeah. There was Which, something. Like, it had to have just been because he, like, he was so He was so, so good. big. Yeah. And yeah. like everything he touched turned to gold. And then this, yeah, this couple years where it was just like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, are you okay? Like, it was like someone, a really it big was like, sophomore slump. It was it like 10 years. Yeah. yeah. It was a while. And then I read something about <laughs> somebody coined the term the Shyamalan groan, which <laughs> oh, was no. when the credits were like going on a film and people saw that his name was on it. There oh, was like an audible groan. In the theater? Yeah. No. Isn't that sad? Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> he just tried to branch out. Uh, so his career's kind of been Ben Affleck-y. Yeah. yeah. Like, you go through a rough patch, and then you kind of come back on top. 
Well, I think the truth was that he was just better at thriller and horror movies, but he mm-hmm. just didn't want to admit it to himself at the time. Mm-hmm. And he, this is from Rolling Stone. In his 20s, Shyamalan said, quote, I don't think you could have told me that making thrillers for your whole life wasn't a bad thing. Mm. At first, it was a sense of, hey, I can make anything. But that's hypocritical because when I pick up an Agatha Christie novel in my library, I have a strong expectation. So Mm -hmm. I get it. When I became happy with the idea of making thrillers for the rest of my life, everything went right. Mm-hmm. So finally, mm-hmm. in 2015, he got his groove back with The Visit. Yes, and that movie is fucking awesome. I feel like it's so underrated. Like, mm-hmm. it's really fucking scary. It's scary. Yeah. <gasps> so one of my other favorites, released in 2017, Split, mm, is easily one of really his top three good. films. Kenyon, have you seen it? nuts. Mm-mm. Oh my god! It's and a what's guy. his face? The British guy who's in all the X Men movies is so good. James in that. I don't McAvoy. Watch, or yes, James McAvoy. Mm. My god, I don't watch so... a lot of. Oh, the, yes, I've seen that where he has a uh, multiple personalities. Yes. yes, yeah, I've seen that. That his is good. performance is unbelievable yeah. in that movie. It's yeah. so fucking good. So I if you see haven't that. seen it, you should see it. And I'm about to spoil the ending for you, so skip ahead if you don't want to hear this next part. Pola Canyon. Yeah. Skip, skip, skip. Here I go. The ending has a classic Shyamalan twist in that Bruce Willis shows up at the last minute, setting the film up to actually be a sequel and also like a villain origin story for Unbreakable. Yeah, like a prequel, right? Kind of. Like, doesn't it come in the timeline? Doesn't that put it before Unbreakable? I don't think so. I think it puts it after. So I definitely missed that because I never saw Unbreakable. Mm. I didn't love Unbreakable, but it's pretty good. Like, it's not my favorite, but it's pretty good. And then one of his more recent movies, Glass, is is like the third film. Like, Unbreakable mm-hmm. was on its own. Yeah. And then he did Split, kind of designed to merge with Unbreakable. Oh, and then Glass okay. is like with all of those characters continuing the storyline. Yeah, and isn't hmm. Samuel L. Jackson in that? And his, like, he's Mr. Glass and, like, his yeah. bones are, like, so brittle. that Yeah, okay. That's okay. him first in Unbreakable, which, by Got the way... It. Shyamalan, Shyamalan wrote Unbreakable with specifically Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce cool. Willis in mind for it. Ooh, I like that. Cool. Mm-hmm. So Glass sort of combines Split and Unbreakable. They are all really good movies. And this is coming from someone who really does not care for action and superhero movies. I but enjoyed it's like all of not, them. It like is a superhero movie, but it's not. Well, like it's it, it's not like Marvel. He like it's wrote not. It, he wrote it originally to be like a comic book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Movie, but then mm-hmm. when he was pitching it in like 2000 ish, mm-hmm. all of the all of the people he was pitching it to were just like comic book movies just just don't do very well. It'll be a really fringe kind of niche market, mm-hmm. and then like a year later, fucking X Men came out. Yeah, yeah. and like all <laughs> the Spider Mans. Yeah. yeah. So he had to rewrite it so it was less superheroy, comic booky, which. I liked it better that way. Yeah, I think it's like, I think it's cool how it ended up being made because it isn't like more so realistic. Obvious that it's a fucking comic book movie. You don't have to suspend your disbelief quite as much. Mm-hmm. And I hate suspending my disbelief. Mm-hmm. I cling to my anything. disbelief. Oh yeah. So anyway, the ending was a big deal, and he went through great lengths. We're talking about the ending of the movie Split. He mm-hmm. went to great lengths to keep it from leaking before the movie debuted, and he even omitted it from the version shown to test audiences. Cool. I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Love. 
So this is a little bit from Encyclopedia Britannica. Shyamalan's films are known for certain visual hallmarks, including a mix of third-person and first-person perspectives, reflections. Mm, Big one in signs. mm -hmm, The use of doorways and other portals to frame shots, and Mm. careful use of the color red to emphasize important characters, objects, and locations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was huge in The Sixth Sense. I feel like it's more subtle in other movies, but like in The Sixth Sense, it kind of... If you're watching for it, it's in all of them. You see it, yeah. There are so many, like, there are so many just, like, hallmark weird things like that in Servant, some of which I've been able to, like, understand and, like, kind of pick apart. And some of them, like, I still don't get, but, like, I know they must mean something. Mm, And there just hasn't been, like, enough He's shamaning you, baby. He's making you work for it. And the main, like, two of the main characters, including Rupert Grant, have, like, really red hair. Mm-hmm. in oh. Servant. I don't know. It's interesting. I am starting that as soon as we wrap up. I am so excited. I need your login. On it. Major characters in his films tend to be quiet and introspective, which helps to set the mood and provide a starting point from which suspense can build. Mm-hmm. He's also known, like I said earlier, for having set many of his productions in or around Philadelphia. So cool. If you've seen some of his movies, you might have noticed that he frequently casts himself in yep. them. He's very, it's very like, um, God, I'm stupid. What's his face in all of the Marvel movies before he died? The guy with the, anyway, whatever. It's fine. I don't or know. Or the most famous director of all time. What the fuck's his fucking, name? Fucking, uh, fucking The Birds. What's Alfred what's Hitchcock? Alfred Hitchcock yeah. did that. They make little cameos. Yeah. Mel Brooks did that, I think, too. Mm-hmm. He did, but not in like every movie. It wasn't like, yeah, I don't know. Who the um, fuck am I so thinking of? I'll he, be fine. He has appeared mostly in small Stanley! Role. Sorry. Oh, the glasses. Okay, <laughs> yep. got it. He has appeared mostly in small roles, so basically a cameo in Praying with Anger, The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable Signs, Lady in the Water, The Village, The Happening, The Last Airbender, Split, Glass, and Old. So there's only like a couple that he hasn't appeared right where it wouldn't make sense at all like it wouldn't make sense for him to show up in the visit where the whole thing takes place at like the grandma's house right yeah and it's like isn't it like shot like it's supposed to be like a on a a video camera like a it's not super found footagey but it's kind of like that okay Shyamalan is not without his controversies in addition to criticism about racist casting casting plagiarism etc he made a misstep while promoting the village and this mm. is from Mental Floss. In the spirit of Orson Welles' infamous 1938 War of the Worlds broadcast, in which Welles delivered a seemingly legitimate report of alien invaders. Have you ever it's listened amaz- to that? Yes. It's so good. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And Zach used to play it when he was a sixth grade social studies teacher. They used to have like a long unit where they made like, like radio broadcasts and stuff. And they cool. he did with no like context no context for his students he played it and oh. one kid fell off their chair they I were like it. so scared slash surprised <laughs> it was yeah. amazing yeah it's it's really well done okay so sort of like that Shyamalan decided to to try and trick his audiences too in 2004 he conspired with sci-fi the sci-fi channel to present a fake documentary called The Buried Secret of M. Night Shyamalan that posited a boy who had drowned as a child in his neighborhood. What the had fuck sparked? 
Yeah, I can read. I'm not saying this right. A boy who had drowned as a child in his neighborhood had sparked his interest in the supernatural. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Got it. The special was presented as legitimate in press releases, though it was actually a fictitious show designed to promote the director's 2004 film, The Village. Mm. People got really upset about it. Yeah, you don't like. It it did not land. A little kid dying. That's a little Mm. much. It's it. It just it looked like it was supposed to be too real. Right. And then it just and then when people found out that it wasn't real, they're just like, well, you tricked me and it didn't. Like, it just didn't work. Point? It just didn't right. land. What was the point of this? It's yeah. a publicity yeah. stunt and it's dumb. Yeah. yeah. So Kay. the network later apologized for misleading the viewers and the press. But mm-hmm. people were pissed. About, like in all of the articles I read, they mentioned this. Like, yeah, whatever. Okay. Whatever. He tried something. It didn't work. He tried didn't something work. new. Didn't work out. Mm-hmm. But uh, of all the things that I learned about him, I just feel like it sort of humanized him a little bit. I got to kind mm-hmm. of know more about his background. I've forgiven him for his bummer streak. And I <laughs> I love his good movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they're really, when they're good, really they're really good. good. Yeah, yeah, really fucking good. So that's awesome. some background I love it. on M. Wow. Night Shyamalan. Well done. Thanks. Love, 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 love. I hope we're thanks. not about to go into a bummer streak. I don't think we are. My, oh, I'm, I'm in love with my case. Great. So let's hear a quick word from our sponsors and then get right to it. Yes. Shopping for clothes can be super daunting especially online. Like, I never know if things are going to fit. Returns are a huge pain in the butt. Sometimes you don't even know where to start. So this season, let Stitch Fix do all the hard work. Oh, they really do the heavy lifting, people. It is so easy and fun to get started with Stitch Fix. So first, you just take a few minutes to set up your Stitch Fix style profile. It's really fun. You just get to pick, like, what kinds of clothes you actually like. Yeah, it's like making a mood board. Exactly. It is like a mood board. So you just answer a few questions about what you like to wear, what you don't like to wear, anything with like stitching around the waist. Mm, Yep. Nope. And also how open you are to trying new styles. Then Stitch Fix's expert stylists will go to work finding items exclusively for you. Every piece is handpicked for you. Yes, you. And it is unique to your size, your style and your budget making it the best way to discover clothes that make you look and feel your best. I also love it when my stylist throws in something that I don't normally wear. Right. And then I have, like, time and the privacy of my own home to try it on and be like, oh, my God, this looks really good on me. Yeah. I also got a pair of denim jeans that I actually love to wear. Yeah, they nail it with the jeans. They really do. It's shocking and amazing. So Stitch Fix will send you five pieces to try on at home. Love it. You keep what you love and send back what you don't. Shipping, returns, and exchanges are easy and free. Plus, this is the best part. There is no subscription required. You can try it once and love it. Or set up automatic deliveries, which I also love because it's like my birthday and Christmas. So you can try it once and love it. Or Mm -hmm. set up automatic deliveries and also love them because it's like your birthday when your box shows up at the door. There are no hidden fees ever. So sign up for Stitch Fix and get the season's latest pieces for women, men, everyone in between and beyond, kids, everyone. Uh, They have it all. So sign up today at stitchfix.com slash gals to get $20 off your first purchase. That's stitchfix.com slash gals to get $20 off your first purchase. Limited time offer. Purchase within two days of sign up and treat your wardrobe. Treat it. Feeling a little anxious and overwhelmed? Yes. Yes. 
<laughs> These feelings can make it hard to shift gears and get in the mood. But with Dipsy, you can focus just on what makes you feel good. Uh, yeah, very good. So Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for everyone. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes, love a soundscape, and characters, like characters with accents, hello. Hi. No matter, yeah, no matter who you're into or what turns you on, find stories about that intriguing coworker with a British accent. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or hooking up with your hot yoga instructor. Ooh. Yeah, we've all been there. Hear the sexy voices of Sarunas J. Jackson, ER Fightmaster, Luke Cook, and many others in stories like you've never heard before. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy also has sleep stories. Who doesn't want those? wellness sessions and now they also offer written stories if you need to keep the volume down mm-hmm. if you know what i mean it's your go-to place to spice up your me time explore your fantasies or keep things up with a partner that's right and for listeners of this show dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash gals that's 30 days full of access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash gals, dipsystories.com slash gals, and treat your mood. Treat up. So, <laughs> the... Why are we like this? I don't, I don't know. know. Oh, during the ad break, we're just like... <laughs> for no fucking reason. I, feel, I felt like a Muppet for a minute. Yeah, it felt right, so we did it. Okay, the former mining village of Bedeau, Wales, has a reputation as a safe, somewhat sleepy community. I did not do geography because Welsh is just so wild of a much. language it's that too much. It's beyond geography. Mm-hmm. Top it off, my sake. Good God, I love it. So it's this I, tiny I little. I have a drinking game in my case, so it's gonna get toasty. <laughs> I'm just drinking water. Well. Catch up. All right. So you tiny little, up. tiny little Welsh vi- village. Okay? okay. It's not unusual for a year to go by in which the to local be police. Loved by anyone. Yes. In which the local police log not only no missing persons reports, but also no assaults and no 999 calls, which is like their Idyllic. Yeah. Mm. So like that is how small and sleepy and peaceful this Villages, they they Nothing can go. Nothing happens. They there. can go a year without a nine one one call. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. So back in nineteen ninety seven, a funky like hippie witchy artsy lady named Lee Sabine moved into this tight knit village community, and there are some photos on the drive of Lee. Okay, if you want to check out her vibe. I do want to check out her. She's vibe. she's oh. like. Okay. Kind of gothy. Oh. Elderly of arts, Lee elderly is incredible. Teacher. With her e. wine and her cigarettes. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Her nails. I'm she's obsessed got like a Marianne her. Faithful thing about her. She's oh drinking and smoking. God. And you have named this Lee after cancer diagnosis. <laughs> yeah. I love her. Okay. Yeah. So there was an air of mystery to her. All most people knew was that she was from New Zealand. Oh, and that she had also once been a nightclub singer. 
She's perfect. Fun. I love her so much. Yeah. One neighbor named Mary Gardner recalls of the first time she met Lee that, quote, she was bent over in the street looking at the ground. I thought she'd lost something, so I went over. She said, oh, I'm all right, darling. I'm just looking for pretty stones. Yeah, <laughs> <I> said, okay. <laughs> I said to her, you're not going to find them here. And she goes, take no notice the fuck of me. fuck I'm not. <laughs> I like to do mysterious things. Oh, my God. She's I, my hero. I love her so much. No, no. Are we allowed to and- love her? But despite her sometimes odd behavior, Lee soon won over her neighbors, mostly as the result of the beautiful garden she created in what had essentially been a dingy lot when she first moved in. So she moved into like like a flat in like a row of flats and she had her own little, you know, rectangular back garden that had just been like patchy Mm -hmm. grass and dirt. And she like turned it into a nice little garden. Oh, good for her. So neighbors were soon dropping by regularly to enjoy tea, barbecues, and tarot card readings in her garden. She's the best. According she better to, not turn on us. She's gonna uh, look at that face. God according to one neighbor, quote, she was a bit of an eccentric. I would always say that she was mad as a box of frogs. <laughs> or my mom would say a bucket of hair. Mad as a bucket of hair. You're, you're weirder than a bucket of hair. That is oh my God. a bucket of hair is pretty weird. But this is continuing the quote. But she was always fizzy and bubbly. We hit it off. She made me laugh. Oh. According to Mary Gardner, again, this neighbor friend, quote, she used to wear this wide leather belt and leather gloves. And there's a photo on the drive of her in said belt and said gloves. And it's a good look. She was always darling this, darling that. She liked male attention, really any attention. I, she is me and I am her. Continue. Yeah, this is a man's future. Yeah. Her, her bedroom was all silks and satins with a silk canopy on the ceiling. There were different colored drapes and curtains over the, and cushions over the bed. And the headboard was solid gold or like gold colored. Wow. I told her her bedroom was like a Tarts boudoir. I'd never <laughs> seen anything like it, but I liked her. She was a character. A I Tarts boudoir. <laughs> am obsessed with Lee, and I'm obsessed with Lee after cancer diagnosis. Yes, specifically, 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 specifically. Uh. this specifically. But while Lee was welcoming and chatty with her neighbors, she was also extremely cagey when it came to revealing details about her own past. Good for her. The only photograph in her house was a black and white photo of herself from her days as a nightclub singer. Yes. That's That's how how it should be. That's how it should be. (laughs) (laughs) I am her. (laughs) I aspire to be her. To several neighbors, she claimed that she had never been married and never had kids. But then in 2006, when Mary Gardner's daughter Adele passed away, Lee comforted her by sharing that she had been through a similar experience when her, quote, grandson (gasps) died by suicide. So she did have children. You got to have a kid to get a grandkid. Unless it's all a lie. And then the stunned Gardner reminded Lee that she'd always said she had no children and Lee backpedaled, saying, oh, he's not mine. I just refer to him like that because we were close. Okay. Okay. Which I could also see. I mean, Amanda. Yeah, I mean, that's also me. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like, if Oscar gets married and has a child, that child will be my grandchild. (laughs) My god grandchild. And he's not even officially your godson. Oh, he is. He is. That has been... That's been made official? Made official. By I forced her hand, but it is not. <laughs> so Lee apparently also made vague references to other neighbors about having been married at some point in the past. She told people that her husband had been violent and unfaithful and that she had left him. And then she told others that he had abandoned her. But it just, you know, just kind of sounded like she'd been married, but it was so long ago and mm-hmm. didn't work out. And it wasn't like a good experience that she wants to talk about. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until Lee was diagnosed with brain cancer that she began revealing more concrete details. <gasps> brain cancer. While the she tumor was, made her tell the truth. Almost. <gasps> While she was in the hospital receiving treatment, she befriended a woman named Lynn Williams who was there visiting a relative. As Lee's health continued to deteriorate, the two became extremely close. So this was over a period of like several months and this mm-hmm. Lynn woman was visiting a lot, and Lee didn't have a ton of visitors, and mm-hmm. they just, like, really hit they it off. They hit it off. Yeah. Williams remembers that, quote, there was always a sticky silence when she talked about the past, but she opened up a bit about her children. Um, liar. Lee told her new friend that she actually had five children. Oh, my God. That's a lot of kids from zero kids. Yeah. Three girls and two boys, all of whom she and her former husband had abandoned in New Zealand when she was 28 years old. She had five (gasps) kids by 28. Mm -hmm. I mean, I might have abandoned them, too. That's a lot. Someone should have checked her nipples to see if, if she had kids. She's not a dog. <laughs> Cat, you can tell if cats have had kittens because they have long nipples. Same with yeah. dogs. I think that works with people, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. Someone should have checked her nipples. What do my nipples say? She uh, probably would have a, shown them freely. She sounds a complicated like a, tapestry mm-hmm. woven in my nipples. <laughs> you might have had some kids you don't know about. I might have. These things are a mess. <laughs> These things are a mess. They're like tree rings. Yeah. They can date, can carbon date by your nipples. I don't know. Something's off. (laughs) Anyway, third love. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever Williams, this woman, (laughs) tried to ask questions or clarify details about this story of the five kids and the abandonment in New Zealand. Like, wait, what? (laughs) Slow down. Back up. Lee would change the subject. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) I fucking bet. (laughs) So then... Anyway, can uh, I see her nipples? (laughs) (laughs) So then, on October 30th, 2015... Lee Sabine succumbed to brain cancer and died at the age of 74 in the hospital. No! That's too bad. (laughs) No! Lynn Williams, who spent a lot of time with her in her final days, believed that Lee was trying to work up the courage to tell her something before she passed, but she never did. Oh, my God. Solve the mystery. Consult a psychic. On one occasion, she even blurted out, quote, I've got a secret. (laughs) But then quickly changed the subject 
And on I another need occasion, to do this on my deathbed, <laughs> even if I don't have a secret. I, I've got a secret. I've got Come a secret. closer. I have something I have to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> if I could time my death like that, I would absolutely do that. Are you yeah. fucking kidding me? I am going to torture my surviving <laughs> loved ones with this. I am logging this away. Great party trick. Oh, I've got a secret. On another occasion, she told Williams that she was going to mail her a letter so that it would like arrive after her death. <laughs> okay. With the infer- with the secret. But I mean, bitch, just tell me now. <laughs> but no letter ever arrived. That's cruel. So in her final weeks, Lee also spent a lot of time with another woman that she was close to. This person was named Michelle James. She was her next door neighbor and the two houses like were part of that block of flats and they shared a back patio. Mm -hmm. So to Michelle, Lee had made joking references to an old medical skeleton she had in her house. (gasps) Luck. I love her so much. (laughs) She's probably going to be an awful person. I don't care. (laughs) She told Michelle that she thought it would be funny if she were to put the skeleton up in the attic so that after her death, it would scare people who moved into the house after her. She's right. It would be funny. And she this is, is funny. a perfect amalgam of me and Lucy. So I know. <laughs> totally, because I've done that. Oh, yeah. And this is 2015. So this was like people, like the meme of doing this had, already hadn't, ha- hadn't happened yet. Oh, this, I you guess know what I mean? Legit. <laughs> she invented it. She invented it, basically. It was her idea. <laughs> and so one morning after her death in November of 2015, like pretty, so about a month after her death, Michelle James found herself alongside with a friend who was just like there on the patio she shared with Lee, bent over a large package wrapped in several layers of plastic. Oh my God. From the size of it, she assumed it must be the medical skeleton that her late neighbor had referred to. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my god, oh my god, oh my and god. And it was. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and that's Twist my case. the end. <laughs> Twist, this lady was just great. <laughs> oh, I wish for once you would do that. There god. are conflicting reports about where exactly Michelle James had like found the plastic wrapped skeleton. Some sources claim that Lee had been keeping it in the garden, and others say that it was hidden somewhere in her house. Like on display? No, wrapped. Or still in the wrap. Wrapped okay. in like layers okay. and layers of plastic and then like v- v- and like vacuum sealed plastic for part of it. Why didn't so, she open it? I'm confused. The assumption is. No, we're saying Lee, Lee had kept right. this yeah. plastic wrapped skeleton. skeleton and now she's in laid her this garden or her house. We don't know. And now and her now neighbor she's laid the foundation of, oh, I have this medical skeleton. It's like she's trying to throw people off the scent as a last ditch effort as she's dying. Got it. Okay. That's what I'm getting. So from nothing this. was mailed. No. For some no, reason, it was I letter the, never happened. I thought the packet. I thought the skeleton was like a package that had no, been no, no, mailed. No, no, no. Just found in her house after her. Got death. it. Okay. Found in either her house or her garden after her death by her neighbor slash friend who was going through her personal effects. Got mm-hmm. it. Okay. Either way, it didn't take long for Michelle to realize that she was on. Un- what she was unwrapping was not a funny prop or prank from her friend. 
Oh my God. Oh my God. As she cut through the final layers of plastic, an unmistakable odor emerged from inside and she began to scream. Oh my God. So, I mean, even if it was a real medical skeleton, it wouldn't be in active decomposition. It would be fully. Yeah. So like, oh, holy fuck. Oh my God. Yeah, I have this rotting corpse in my house. It's a medical skeleton. It's fine. Bye. I'm going to die now. <laughs> love this. I love her so much. It's making her better in my point. I know. Opinion. So the Michelle's friend, Ryan or Ryan, I don't know, ran inside to call the police and report what they had just fucking discovered. <laughs> when police arrived, they finished unwrapping the plastic bundle and it revealed a partially decomposed but pretty well-preserved human body. Yeah, because idiot, you basically like accidentally mummified that fucker yeah, by, it was ra- by shrink sealed. wrapping it. Yeah. yeah. What if, oh my God, when you open that, it would be so nasty. What if when she well, called like the, the cops, liquid. when she called the cops, the number had been like disconnected because no one ever called the cops yeah. anymore. Yeah, that <laughs> town. 999 call in like years. I forgot <laughs> that we were in the sleepy town with no emergencies too. Yeah, oh, this is a lock. big one. <laughs> this is an Agatha Christie novel. Yeah. Oh my God, I love it. I love it. God, it's so good. Upon further examination, a pathologist identified the cause of death as a blow to the back of the head with a blunt object. Mm, Blunt force trauma. A murder investigation was launched, and at first, Michelle was arrested and taken into custody because, like... Finder's keeper. He who smelt it dealt it. Right. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Ish. (laughs) Fucking ish. (laughs) But upon questioning her, police soon realized that she had nothing to do with it, and they turned their attention to the now-deceased Lee Sabine. Oh, my God. They discovered that a man named John Sabine, an accountant and Korean War veteran, had once lived at that flat with Lee, but none of the neighbors ever, like, remembered meeting him, and there was no record of his death. It was like... Oh. He had been there briefly, hadn't made any Much connections. of an impression. Yeah. <laughs> and then was suddenly gone. Or was he? No death Suddenly record. shrink-wrapped. John and Lee Sabine had signed a joint lease and moved into the flat together in February of 1997. John had also registered to vote in town and, like, registered for some, like, government benefits, I think. So he was real and he was there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The last sign of him was in April of 1997 when he had called in a prescription to a local pharmacy, but he never came to pick that up. So Uh-oh. it was like the last trace of him. Yeah, he moved. I don't know. So after this, John seemed to vanish without a trace and no one ever reported him missing. Because they were new in this sleepy ass town. Mm-hmm. He was only there for maybe like a month and a half <laughs> and then oh. disappeared. My God. Yeah, the only person who would feasibly report him is the one who probably killed him. Oh, I love it. About three weeks after the body was discovered, police were able to track down a relative of John Sabine's. This was his son from his first marriage, now like an adult, Mm -hmm. who agreed to provide a DNA sample. Mm, His adult son. His adult son. The sample was a match for the remains discovered on Lee's property. Mm -hmm. Shocker. Mm -hmm. Was that the twist? 
<laughs> As investigators led by Detective Chief Inspector Gareth Morgan began to probe more deeply into Lee Sabine, the complete picture of her past that had long eluded her friends and neighbors began to emerge. So she had been born not in New Zealand, but oh. in Wales. In fact, in a village not far from the village of Beddo, where she <laughs> then She's lived. She's local. Yeah. Did she fake an accent that She whole must time? have. Oh, <gasps> my God. Oh, my God. She's brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> Her real name was Anne, probably Anne Lee, whatever, and mm. or like Leanne so or Leanne. She went by like her middle yeah. part of her name. Okay. And she was the daughter of a miner who had abandoned his family when she was a toddler. So she had experience with that playbook. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You know. She had eventually made her way to London where she worked as a nurse. And this is where she'd met John Sabine. She nursed him through the injuries that he'd received in the Korean War. And the two married in 1960. Wow. They had four children together while they were still living in Britain. And then they all moved together as a family to New Zealand and had a fifth child. In 1969, inexplicably, they abandoned all of their children at an orphanage in Auckland. Like oh telling God. the kids that like they were going to be back after the weekend and then they just never came back. That's awful. No contact. No letters. That's so fucking sad. I mean, I was really on board with her. Well, maybe we'll find out why. I mean, like nope. I said, if I had four or five kids, I'd consider abandoning them too. I, That's a lot of kids. Nipples don't Well, lie. this one was like eight. Yeah. It can take care of itself. <laughs> <laughs> it's My not niece is great. eight. She's very self-sufficient. <laughs> <laughs> so they- uh, You hear that, Molly? I'm proud of you. I think later they like claim <laughs> she like claimed that it was because they didn't have enough money to support them all. But then she and John moved to Perth, Australia, and they began going by fake names. They like yeah. changed their last yeah. names, so now they're Lee and John Martin. Mm -hmm. And then this is where she had her career as a cabaret singer. Yeah, oh she my set, God, she's she living set her this up. I love her so much. <laughs> and he continued working as an accountant. So it's not like they didn't have money. money. They Means. had like enough. They were okay. They'd figure it out. Yep. And apparently later, not like right away, but like eventually later, they like had a hobby as like showing, like bringing dogs to dog shows, which oh. is like not a cheap hobby. No. no. And their kids were abandoned still in New Zealand with no word from them living in abusive foster families. God damn well, it. Maybe that we shouldn't so force fucked. women to give birth if that's super not what they want to do. So in 1984, she and John returned to New Zealand and tried to reestablish contact with their now like mostly grown children. They were like oh, in their. Fuck no. Yeah. You. Yeah. You made your fucking bed. Mm -hmm. You don't get to reach back out and cause them. More harm like that. Yeah. Now well, that they, they don't depend on you. Right. Yeah. Well, they, so they tried. And this rekindling of a relationship proved to be short-lived. So mm -hmm. one of their- I wonder if she wanted, like, money or something or was, like, doing something fucked up or if she just had, like, a moment of guilt and acted on it There's, and reached out to her kids. We don't know. And, like, okay. it'll get even more bizarre by Great. the end. Great. 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 
(laughs) Great. (laughs) So one of their older daughters contacted the authorities after they reached back out. And what actually happened was they moved back to New Zealand. And then 10 years later, they reached out to their kids. God, these people. And they'd been like showing dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Under fake names. Listen. Whatever. It's still lovely, but this is not good. <laughs> so one of the older daughters contacted the authorities and also the press being like, you're not going to believe my fucking story. And a news crew arrived at the house where they were staying, where John and Lee were staying to do a story about these parents who had callously abandoned their kids and then returned mm-hmm. after 15 years. Oh and so John and Lee didn't want that attention and they fled again. And that's... Kind of lived when they, off the grid. They were off the grid for a while, and then we don't really know kind of what they were doing. And then they moved to this Welsh town in 1997. Mm-hmm. My Welsh sheep town. My yeah. Welsh sheep town, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was also discovered that the reference to her grandson dying by suicide that she'd made to her friend was actually a reference to her son, Martin, who had died oh. by suicide in 2000. Wait. That doesn't make sense. Whatever. He had died by suicide at, in at some, some point. point. Right. Martin. Wasn't Martin the, one of their fake names? Their fake last name was Martin. That's a good well, catch. Maybe she, maybe she pulled the fake last name from her the name of her real son. Yeah. Martin. Gross. Mm, That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so indicates that she had been like keeping tabs on her kids mm-hmm. like from afar but also like not enough to intervene or like care about them. And they had horrific foster families and just horrible abuse throughout their childhood. God. But for all the information investigators collected about Lee's past, nothing proved concretely useful for proving that she had murdered her husband of almost four decades. Yeah, maybe he just died. And she was like, I don't know how to deal with this. He just Wrap died him up. naturally well, of blunt force trauma I'll t- I'll to the back of the go. head. I'll Anyone would go. suffocate being, you know, shrink-wrapped. seal. <laughs> <laughs> that is, until they received a call from a woman named Valerie Chalkley, who had known the Sabines in the 1990s and had heard Narc. police were seeking information about them. Narc. She described how she had received <laughs> an unexpected call from Lee in 1997. Okay, this is Kenyon entering the chat. <laughs> Lee is me and Lucy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is Kenyon scrolling through the news one day. Newspapers.com. Yeah. Yeah. Perusing newspapers.com, seeing, unexpectedly seeing an article Mm -hmm. and going, I I got info. I've got, I know. I'm a squeal like a canary. Like old piggy. Oh, she's got, (laughs) she's got juicy info. Spill the tea, Vicky. Totally Valerie. (laughs) She got juicy info. Oh, God. So she describes she gets this random phone call from Lee in 1997. Again, that's when John had gone missing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Valerie asked Lee how she and John were doing. Just, you know, like a catch up call. Like, how are you guys doing? Joking, quote, that she thought she she thought they might have killed each other by now. Like, haven't killed each other by now? You know, like, whatever. Oh, my God. <laughs> were they like notoriously like a kind of a bickering? Couple? I don't know. Like, did they seem know. unhappy or I mean, is that just like one of those jokes? together for Almost 40 years through I mean, abandoning be, their kids. 
True. Through together. thick and thin, other than parenthood. Mm-hmm. And f- okay. three different countries, four different countries. So True. I don't know. Lee responded, quote, oh, I have killed him. I hit him over the head with a stone frog. <laughs> That's specific. <laughs> Valerie assumed this comment was a joke at the time. <laughs> But she still remembered it more than a decade later and like Because it's a police. really fucking weird thing to say. Also, I'm 99% sure we had like a cup, one or two little stone frog garden statues in our house in Connecticut. I have oh, a yeah. stone frog. He's standing on his back legs playing a saxophone. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think I think one of ours was fishing in like a little You're pond. never going to look at it the same way again because. Oh, it's the murder weapon. Oh my God. Upon learning of this phone conversation, police reached out to the neighbor, Michelle, like the current neighbor, who had inherited many of Lee's possessions, including the fucking corpse of her dead husband. The medical skeleton. (laughs) To ask if a stone frog was among these possessions. Sure as shit. I'm sure it was. And in fact, it was. Oh, my God. (laughs) Michelle's a nice frog. You're not going to get rid of that. Michelle had found a garden ornament in a shoebox alongside several other random items that she had yet to sort through. And Lee had apparently kept the stone frog on her bedside table (laughs) for years after the murder. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is fucking amazing. Oh, I told you I love my case. Oh, she my is God, I, unbelievable. I hate that they abandoned their kids. Yeah, she's a but nightmare. I love yeah. them so much. There's, and it also kind of makes me feel less bad that he got murdered because he's a fucking child abandoner. So so was she. So was she. Well, yeah. She died. Well, yeah. She died of brain cancer. Uh, of all, in old age, uh, there's a photo of the the stone frog murder weapon on the drive. Like the actual one? Yeah. Oh, oh it's so cute. Oh, that's cute. I would have that on my table, too. That is adorable. Yeah. Oh, it's small. Ooh, I bet I it's really heavy. I have a wooden frog ornamental statue in the other room. Anyway. Yeah. Pathologists examined wow. the stone frog and found the distinctive shape of its leg and eye to be an exact match for the cluster no. of skull fractures on John no. Sabine's head. <laughs> the bugging out eye and the back leg. Oh, uh, that fit like a puzzle piece right oh in there. Oh my God. This is Holy so bizarre. <laughs> this is so weird. I know. <laughs> Chief Inspector Morgan had stated that based on the evidence available, he believes Lee killed John during a heated argument and then kept his body stashed somewhere on her property for 18 years, periodically adding new layers of plastic when it began to smell. Oh, oh my God, that's why it was so thickly wrapped. She was adding more. Oh, 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 oh. I bet oh, he was God. juicy in there. Stop. However, yeah. police were. She, they opened it and it's just a soup yeah. with bones in it. Police oh. were never able to discover either the exact location of where she killed him or where she had stored the body all those years because, like, they they didn't find, like, a place where, like, blood had pooled. I'm guessing it was in the backyard and nobody uh, saw. Yeah, she killed him in the garden. When? With the stone frog. Yeah. With the stone frog. It and was then Lee kept the in stone the garden frog with it, the on stone her bedside frog. table from then on. 
and then memorialized her murder weapon so she could look at it every night and have sweet dreams. When did she kill him and when did she die? 97, she killed him. Yeah, she killed him in 97 and she died in like... 2015, I think. Holy Amazing. shit. She had a whole Almost life without 20 him. years. Yeah. yeah. Be uh, in the neighborhood psychic. Yeah. Uh, According to the inspector, quote, we did meticulous forensic work, but nothing. It was an immaculate house. So oh, I, yeah. it, I think it must have been in the garden. She had plenty of time. Back in New Zealand, the Sabine surviving children struggled to come to terms with the fact that not only had their parents abandoned them, but their mother had then murdered their father. Steve Sabine, the, one of the grown sons, the surviving son, told reporters of his parents, quote, my father was a good man, a soft-hearted man, but she was a conniving bitch. Oh. He, his feelings are totally valid, and it is very possible that she was the driving force behind yeah. abandoning the children. However... John is still responsible. John is still an autonomous human man who could have stuck by his kids and he fucking didn't. Yep. But I don't blame Steven for being like, I need somebody to fucking blame. My life has been yep. nothing but trauma and my parents left me and I've gone through hell. He can feel however I, he, can he feel wants however to feel. He can feel however he wants. Yep, I would be exactly. so unbelievably bitter if I were oh one of those kids. Yeah. Yep. Thousand percent. Especially because then not only did they have the, the trauma of the abandonment, but then they had the trauma of the ongoing trauma of like their abuse at the hands of their foster families, mm-hmm. like just really fu- and then their one of their siblings died by suicide yeah and then mom and dad pop back in once for like randomly a hot set for a hot and then second leave. extra then fuck leave. you then they find out that their mom is a fucking murderer it's a that's it's a lot to unpack yeah jesus all right Ugh. this is the this is maybe the weirdest part what <laughs> A year before Lee died, her adult daughter, Jane, decided to write her mother a letter to make one more attempt to establish contact after all those years. Okay. So this is the same daughter, I think, that whatever. they She'd maybe reached out to years prior. Okay. In response, Lee sent Jane a card with an image of a phoenix rising from the ashes. Inside was the following cryptic note, handwritten and in all caps. I love a cryptic note. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) Quote, like the phoenix, I will arise from the ashes and sleep will obey me and visit thee never. For my eyes are upon thee forever and ever. I have served my life sentence of shame and blame. Now it is your turn to do the same. Is she cursing her on a postcard? Signed, your nemesis, Anne Lee Sabine. Girl, you're crazy. That was the last contact any of her children had with her. She sounds like she had some definite mental health problems. But putting that aside, let's try to decipher this. Sleep will obey me. So you'll never be able to sleep again. Right. It's like a curse. For my eyes are upon thee. I'm watching you. Forever. I've served my life sentence of shame and blame. Yeah, okay. I've, I, I've done my penance for Feeling abandoning guilty. you and killing my husband. Now, now it's you your turn. you have a sentence of shame and blame. It's a total curse. It's a curse. Your wow. nemesis. Imagine Ugh. getting a note from your mom. Okay, well, that would be hilarious if my mom nemesis. sent me that. But under this context, not hilarious 
at all. You should make your mom, the next mug you make for your mom, Done. signed your nemesis. Your nemesis. Your nemesis. Amanda Don Jacobson. Amanda Don Jacobson. <laughs> your full name. Done. Oh, my yeah. God. So that is my case. Wow. I, I don't even know what to say. It's a lot to process. The frog. I love the frog. The cabaret The frog singing. fitting perfectly into the head trauma on the skull. <laughs> the, is me- like... the medical skeleton joke that isn't a joke. I just think I I'm going to leave a tarot card readings and how we would have absolutely been best friends with this woman. A thousand oh, percent. She would have yeah. been my new grandma. Yeah. Like, immediately. Yep. Well, she didn't want kids, so. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. It's fucking, that is so fucking bizarre. It's the In weirdest shit ever. In a sleepy little Welsh village. Obsessed. Where is this movie? Where? Yeah. I want it. This movie would be so good. I would watch Think this of, like, immediately Stalker after Channing. Divine. Stalker Channing and like, what's her name from fucking Love Actually, who is married to Severus Snape? Emma, what's her face? Yeah. Not Watson. The other Emma. Yeah, I know who you're The other about. British Emma. Anyway, she could play Lee quite well. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bravo. Jesus Christ. Bravo. Bravo. Yeah, so that's my case. Shyamalan twists on twists. In Good incredible. fucking work. Oh, my God. God. Bless it. I'm going to go well, take a picture of my frog statue and put it on the drive. It'll be on the Yeah, I need to take well, a picture and- of What's In all? the meantime, yeah. we could hear from our sponsors, which uh, it wasn't frogbogs.com, one of our sponsors, <laughs> many moons ago. <laughs> frogbogs.com. Frog Get your murder weapon today. Get a new frog yep. for your bug. Get a frog for your bug. <laughs> all right, let's hear a word from our sponsors. When it comes to weddings, there are moments that you'll always remember, and it's not just about walking down the aisle or cutting the cake or that precious first look my favorite part. There are a million little moments that really stick with you. And those are the things you want to remember most. Like, so for my wedding, I remember how freaking hot it was and how good it felt. A little bit hot. (laughs) It's a little warm. How good it felt when the sun finally went down. There were like fireflies. We had great music, great food. I have so many good memories of my own wedding. And so I'm here to tell you that, that those are the important things. And all the moments leading up to your wedding day, here is the most important thing to remember, and that is Zola. So whatever kind of wedding you're planning, Zola.com is the one place to start. They've got your back with all your wedding needs. That's why over a million couples have planned their weddings with Zola. So like when we say Zola has everything, we mean it. If you're looking for a wedding venue, they'll give you personalized recommendations. If you want an amazing gift registry, you will find access to everything you need from classic cookware to cash funds. Zola can even help you create stunning save the dates invitations and a matching wedding website. You've got to check these out. Like You really I, do. I want to use Zola for like my next birthday. Do because it. Because all their designs are so dang cute and they all match. Everything is cohesive. Everyone will assume that you had a professional wedding planner, which are expensive. But planning with Zola never is. All of their planning tools are completely free to use. That free wedding website that's home to your gift registry, which, by the way, comes with free shipping and returns. And not only is all of this free to use, it's risk-free. You get free personalized samples of your invitations so you can try them out before you buy them. And, of course, free envelopes and guest addressing. So whatever your style or budget, Zola has you covered so you can think less about the million things you need to do. All of those spreadsheets, all those tabs, all those Pinterest boards. 
and think more about those million wedding moments that you will always remember. That's right. So if you're planning your wedding, here's our tip. Start with Zola. Go to Zola.com slash gals today and use promo code SAVE50 for 50% off your save the dates. Zola is the one place to start your wedding day. That's Zola.com slash gals, code SAVE50, and treat your nuptials. Trade them. All right. You guys ready for my case? Yeah. Maybe. It's a fun one. <laughs> We're going to go down under today for my case. Oh, everyone's so exotic. And also back in time to the mm. simpler year of 2008. Oh, great year. <laughs> great year. We're mm. also going to play a drinking game where you take a drink every time you hear a red flag. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm glad I'm drinking Uh-oh. water. Yeah, I might die. <laughs> and while we can see what the twist is here from a mile away, there are still some exciting, you know, things in this case that you might not see coming at the end. And the victim in this case absolutely did not know what the fuck was going on. So I am declaring this still applicable. Okay. okay. Here we go. Still a Episcopal. Young, Episcopal. <laughs> Episcopal. A young, devoutly God-fearing couple. Drink. Drink. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Hold on. I need like some, I'll do this. Get some water. Flag. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a little flag? Oh, I'm perfect. Just, okay. Yeah, a red flag. 22-year-old Julian Buckwald and 17-year-old Carolyn Watson. Drink. Drink. Oh. <laughs> we're living separately, thank God, because she was still in fucking high school. <laughs> Drink. <laughs> Isn't that water? <laughs> went down the wrong Her body's pipe. rejecting it. It's rejecting because it. This is alcohol. This is a Sauvignon Blanc. I drink a mango white claw. I just like claws in the fridge. Dang it. Oh, well. Well, you can run a great one. Anyway, just outside of Melbourne and had been dating for two years. So when she was 15 and he was 20, they started dating. Oh, what is he? Dane Cook? <laughs> I was just going to say that. Did you fucking so, see that? Yes, it's fucking. He was forty disgusting. when he started dating her, and she was eighteen. Well, Tur- when well. he publicly started dating yeah. her, don't he met even her think when she for was a younger. fucking second mm-hmm. that they didn't have some kind of. You know, he was grooming her. I can't. You guys, everything is trash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> May they live a long and happy life. Okay. <laughs> The only silver lining, though we can't even really, well, we can confirm this, kind of. Like, I believe her. I believe Carolyn is all I'm going to say. The only silver lining is that because of their equal devotion to God, they had made the choice not to have sex until marriage. Which, like, red flag, but at least they're not (laughs) having sex, penetrative sex. But devotion to God, red flag. Yeah, red flag. But it's still fucking vile, and that silver lining is, like, basically one stray gray hair on an incredibly statutory head. (laughs) So, anyway, Julian planned an afternoon date for the two of them to go to the countryside and have a picnic lunch at a picturesque location by a waterfall. Which, like, honestly could be kind of a red flag. Uh, right? Afternoon date. Tough. Mm-hmm. Unless you have a hard out. Zodiac-y. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on the way there, the couple stopped briefly on the side of the road in a remote area to investigate a seemingly injured animal just off the road. Ew. This is a red flag moment, but also one that I would completely do. Yeah. Like, 
if I saw a hurt animal or... Or somebody said, hey, pull over, there's a hurt animal. There's a... There's a or there's a dead I have animal. puppies in my van. Right. I'd be like, cool. So I'm drinking, but it is a red I van. feel like you shouldn't pull over to investigate a hurt animal unless you're prepared to put it out of its misery. Well, totally. But that's not... I mean, that's neither here nor there in this situation. I'm just saying. Yeah. So while pulled over, Julian wandered toward the tree line to investigate and then like disappeared into the woods. Oh, good. And a man in a mask, like a balaclava, totally covering his head, came up around on the other side of the car, grabbed Carolyn, stripped her down to her underwear, tied her up and put her in the trunk of the car that they had been driving. Was she Eat screaming this. for Julian? Like, what I'm the sure. Fuck? Probably. She's being fucking kidnapped in the middle of the woods. Wow. Scary. The car then drove away, and Carolyn had no clue if Julian was in the car or if he had been just left behind in the if woods. If he was dead or whatever. Yeah. Right. No idea. Kidnapped in his own way. Mm-hmm. So about an hour later, the trunk is opened. So there were a couple different versions of this. One was that the trunk is opened and it's Julian who opened the trunk and pulled Carolyn out. Another is that the masked assailant dumped her on the side of the road and drove off. And then Julian came and untied her. Either way, Julian is rescuing Carolyn. Okay. 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 Well, right. He unties her saying that he had gotten free from their abductor and was there to rescue her. She trusted him and was terrified, so she went with him, and they took off into the woods. They're both nude, or, like, only in their underwear. He's, like, bloodied up. Like, Jesus. She's like, oh, my God, okay, yeah, let's run. Like, they might be after us. We got to get the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. So once they got a safe distance, Julian explained to Carolyn that the man who kidnapped them, like, was talking to, there was, like, either one or two, he claimed there were two assailants, and that he heard them talking about how they were part of a satanic cult that was bringing them back to the cult leaders for a ritualistic sacrifice. For drink. God's sakes, that, that doesn't happen. Uh-uh. Right. The pair wandered, literally exposed, almost completely nude, in the Australian bush wilderness Ooh. for six days. No. Oh, my before, God. Before a farmer stumbled upon them. During that six days, Julian constantly pressured Carolyn to marry him and, and like just in the woods before God naked and have intercourse in order to stay warm. Ew. Drink. Oh. Come on, baby. We're going to die anyway. We're like Adam and Eve. Oh, or my we're going to die if we don't do this. Now, while it's unclear if he did successfully coerce her, many publication said that he was not successful. Mm-hmm. And so I'm choosing to believe that. I also think the information was kept intentionally vague because she was a minor mm. at the time that this happened. Yeah, and it's nobody's fucking business. It's nobody's fucking business. But either way, he spent six days trying to fucking rape a teenager in the woods. And from what I understand, from what I read, she refused and said, no, not only is that against my religion, but my parents will be so pissed if we get married and they're not there. Like, and also, like, can we focus on survival for a second? Yeah, getting like, out of like, the woods. Can you fucking eye on the prize here, dude? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Focus up. Are other ways to stay warm besides fucking? Yeah, yeah. Like, lot, like a lot of them. God. So when they were found, police really did not believe Julian's version of events at first. 
And like he sort of threw them off because he made this attempt to make it look like a real kidnapping by leaving a note covered in curious satanic markings at Carolyn's house for her parents to discover, claiming to be like the kidnapper. How and did the that kidnappers Carolyn- know they were going to pull over at that spot? Exactly. How did the kidnappers know where she lived? Exactly. It's a fucking idiot. So there was the kidnappers, quote unquote, left this note or like, yeah, for Carolyn's parents to find. And it wasn't even like mailed, like it was left in their house. It's obviously someone that they knew saying that Carolyn would be raped and burned alive if they contacted the police. Christ. Oh, my God. So again, the details of this case are actually like pretty sparse. So I'm not sure if the parents believe the note and didn't call the police or if they had reported their child missing. However, I don't think they did because he had, we'll kind of get to this. He had asked their permission to take Carolyn out on this date Mm -hmm. and the place he was taking her, they knew about and was like a piece of land that his family owned out in kind of a remote area. So That's like the land that they were she, wandering around that they well, and that they were, that they were headed to. I don't know if they mm. ever like fully made it because they pulled over to look mm. at this animal or whatever, and then got quote unquote kidnapped. But so it's possible. Like I would think it's 2008. I would think if Carolyn's parents had called the police and been like, they would have not right. She hasn't come home. This is where they were headed. This is who she's with. Like the the police would have had so much to work with Mm -hmm. to go Mm -hmm. fucking look for them that I personally don't think that they called. I think they believed the note and were freaked out and like didn't call. This is why you got to cling to your disbelief. Seriously. Mm -hmm. It's believing in things will get you into trouble. It will never believe in anything. So I, I, again, I'm speculating, but I'm I feel like I'm speculating yeah. accurately. I'm mm-hmm. I'm picking up what you're putting down. It's yeah, logical. You're, you're sniffing what I'm toting. You're sniffing that body wrapped in my garden. Ugh. But he's Julian stuck to his story until authorities pushed him like even a little bit more, and then he rolled over like a fucking dog and showed his belly. Shyamalan twist that we all saw coming. He staged the whole thing and duped and traumatized poor Carolyn in the process. What a fucking stupid fucking plan to get laid. My God. It's so stupid. It's so psychotic. Unhinged. Yeah. Y'all don't even. I'm about to tell you everything. (sighs) It's bonks and it gets more bonks. So he confessed that the whole thing was a plot to have sex with Carolyn and pressure her into marrying him, which they had already like, okay. Was the sex part so that wanted, she couldn't back out then and she had to marry him because of their like no, religious I the whatever? Marriage, I think the marriage was the I want to have sex with you. And they had already said like they had plans that as soon as she graduated high school and turned 18, they would mm-hmm. get married. So they didn't have to wait any longer to have sex. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to fuck. Yeah. Oh, my I don't think he actually gave a shit about marrying her. She was just like really strong in her values. Yeah. And so he exploited that. And then out, they could have died so many times out in the wilderness and we'll get to how, but like he completely exploited and manipulated their very dire circumstances that he fucking orchestrated and could have ended at any time 
to just be like, God is watching. We're in this like outdoor chapel of the Lord. We can get married in the eyes of God and then have sex. Like he didn't give a fuck about getting married. Oh God. He just wanted to have sex with her. He's a fucking pedophile. He's 25 at this point. He's 17. It's not legitimate if you just get married in the woods by yourselves. No, it's not. Anyway, and Carolyn wasn't having it. She was like, fucking no, sir. No, I'd like to live. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be great. He confessed that on the morning of the date, he went to the property where he was planning a, the picnic, a property that his parents owned, to hide gloves, a balaclava, a jacket, a yellow blanket, ropes, duct tape, and military pants. He had gone into the woods to, quote, investigate the hurt animal, changed clothes, snuck back up to the car, and staged the entire kidnapping. He had even planted a deer skin near the road to prompt pulling over to look at the harmed animal. Which is like all of it's giving me like the village vibes, kind of. This like, could be a this Shyamalan short yeah. film. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ugh. So here's a more detailed retelling of the events from an article on theage.com, and the article has the greatest headline ever, like worthy worthy of a Leslie Nope Parks and Recs <laughs> like Gazoixpo. <laughs> the fucking headline is quote. Nailed, bailed, jailed, then derailed. The Bush plot that cost a man his country. Oh, my God. The drama. Love that. <laughs> I can't even so in follow this article, that. Okay. Uh, it's <laughs> really good. So in this article, the poor girl listened. Uh, it says, this poor girl listened as her kidnapper dug holes to bury evidence. She thought she was to be raped and buried alive, a reasonable fear when the man in the balaclava used his knife to cut off her clothes. Oh, my fucking God. He is oversexed. I don't like it. He's insane. He's a fucking insane, like, incel psycho. Yeah. And, like, they met at church. This is a detail that I read about but didn't include in here, but I'm just going to say it now. They (laughs) met at church, and they were like, so intense with each other, like specifically him with her. Love bombing. That, yeah, that like their youth pastor, even though fucking Julian is an adult, but like their pastor at this church was like, hey, maybe you guys should pump the brakes and like cool off for a little bit. She's Mm -hmm. not even 18 yet. Like, hey man. Mm -hmm. And not that the church did fuck all to truly intervene, but like even if the church is like, hey, maybe chill, then you know it's fucking bad. Yeah. And so they took like a month long break in their relationship. And it sounds like this plot was was part of his, I want to expedite this process and get back together with her. Oh my God. He is so so fucking gross. Yeah. This came after like, basically he's, he's, he's clinging to this relationship because he thinks it could end at any moment that she's going to be over it, which she pretty much was. So Buckwald then cut off his own clothes and lay down two meters away. And she's blindfolded and tied up. He called out in a weak voice, pretending he was also a victim of the kidnapping before untying her. He had scratched his head when he jumped in the car and decided to leave the blood on his face to report uh, to support his story. When she saw him, she thought he looked like Dracula, she said later. Because he would, like, you know, head wounds can, mm, even if they're not that lot. bad, can bleed a lot. So he was probably, like, really bloodied up. He urged her to grab what she could and run, shoving a sleeping bag into her arms. They plunged into a freezing river. This is May in the Australian bush. It's not like a hot summer. Yeah. She soon found she was carrying a sleeping bag cover containing a toothbrush and half a pillowcase filled with desiccated coconut, I guess, as like toothpaste. Yeah, like so you're prepared 
Like yeah. the kidnappers came prepared? Right. I don't know. The bizarre Buckwold had a knife, a shovel, and one jar each of peanut butter and tahini. When this article was written, they were protecting Carolyn's identity because she was underage. So this calls her Holly, but that's not her name. Buckwald told her he bravely fought two kidnappers until they smashed him in the head with a metal rod and then stuffed him in the car, leaving him unconscious and vomiting blood. For the next week, that's right, a week. And then they, they, and then they left, and then I was able yeah. to untie myself and untie you. And get to you, and now we're running away and from And grab you. the tahini and run. Yeah, pretty much. Like this is a Trader so, Joe's. Yeah. Not really. <laughs> they stumbled barefoot and naked around the bush to avoid their kidnappers. It rained as they repeatedly crisscrossed a freezing creek, sheltering at night in the sleeping bag that he said was dropped by their tormentors. And just one, so we have to cozy yeah, we up have to in share. It. His is a sleeping bag. Hers is just a sleeping bag cover full of provisions. Uh-huh. That she's carrying. The fleeing couple took the most rugged routes to deter the non-existent pursuers. So he's convincing her not to go back to the main road. Yeah, like, let's climb this and let's get, yeah. Yep. One night he suggested they have sex to keep warm. She refused. On night four, he said, as they were likely to perish in the cold, they should marry in the eyes of God before they died. Again, she refused. I just can't even imagine have like being horny when all you've eaten for four days is. I know it's tahini and peanut tahini butter. Tahini and peanut butter, and you're freezing and, like and you're naked and like you're covered in blood. Like, no. how is he even horny? He's. I mean, I don't know. At this point, he was what 20, 24, 25. I was horny under some really ridiculous circumstances in my mid twenties, <laughs> but still, and he's a man. I know. I get just it. put nothing past them anymore. So she's like, no, I'm not going to marry you. I'm not going to have sex with you. My parents wouldn't approve. Realizing his plan was now as damp as the sleeping bag, he returned to the dumping point, dug up their damaged clothes after claiming that he had stumbled on the kidnapper's hidey hole. So he starts leading them back to he like their original spot. He realizes that it's not going to work. He's not going to get what he wants. I'm going to get us out of this now. Ugh, be the hero. So, Yep. Now semi-dressed with the clothes that they had dug up, their original clothes, they walked out of the bush to be picked up by a passing farmer in a utility vehicle. So they went back to that main road and this farmer drives by and it's like, what the fuck are these filthy kids doing out here? (laughs) I can't. So he was charged with kidnapping and held on bail ahead of his court date, which he posted and went to wait out his appearance at home. Or so we thought until his court date came and went and Julian was nowhere to be found. Check the bush. Check the bush. Mm -mm. Check the trunk. This is, that's not what happens. Julian Buckwald, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed man who was born in Germany, but yeah, I don't care if a blonde man, uh, who was born in Germany but came to Australia with his parents when he was still an infant, had some connections abroad and thought if he could just get out of Australia, he could escape the certain doom of his imprisonment. Of course, this idiot doesn't know anything about extradition. Right, exactly. But he knew it would be too traceable to escape as himself. So instead, he obtained a fake passport that depicted him as a man of Indian descent. What? Shyamalan twist, he's fucking German. Drink. Oh my God. Blonde, blue-eyed, but he got an Indian fake ID. Yep. So to fit the role, he dyed his blonde hair jet black, as well as his eyebrows, in the and film it, of this story, this would be played by 
M. Night Shyamalan. I mean, it wouldn't, <laughs> though, because he did this so badly. Yeah, oh, the guy okay. selling him the fake ID. Right. Yeah. The guy M. Night selling Shyamalan. him the fake ID could be M. Night Shyamalan, for sure. Or the picture on the ID is M. Night Shyamalan, hey, oh, and no, no, this no. guy is trying no, no, no. to. <laughs> well, maybe, the, yeah, of the original ID is M. Night yeah. Shyamalan, and he replaces it with this. Yeah. He darkened his skin with fake tanning lotion. Oh, stop. Of course All he had to which... add one more fucking... Fucked up, problematic, yeah. bullshit, red flag. Yeah, he's a racist. <laughs> All of which was executed quite poorly. And yes, there is a photo of the passport on the drive. Thank God. With his bad, racist costume. He's just blotchy and red. What? He looks like Justin Long. Ew, yeah, he the actor. gross. He doesn't... Yeah. He, it's not what that doesn't look he, like yeah he just Indian looks man. red with a no. middle part of black hair yep good try yeah. my dude yeah he didn't wait long enough for the tanner to develop <laughs> he just rubbed it in so hard his, his skin turned his skin red. turned red yeah <laughs> so his plan was to fly to india and lay low before potentially making his way back to germany to seek the help of maybe, like, some family that might still be mm-hmm. there. I'm not 100% sure where he thought he was going to go after he went to India. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But oddly enough, when he landed, authorities in India could immediately see <laughs> that this man was not of Indian descent. Yeah. So, like, they would he, know. he was apprehended. Ah, um, yeah. <laughs> he was apprehended some, like, he got out of the airport, but he, he was, like, apprehended somewhere in India after not long. He did not get away with this for very long. <laughs> One report said that he had substituted this disgusting brown face photo onto a stolen but legitimate passport of an Indian citizen. And this is how he was able to get through airport security in Australia. Because it's 2008. It's not like it's they're Shanta- not checking. It's like Shantaram, sorry. Shyamalan and Shantaram. Have you guys read Shantaram, the book? No. Uh-uh. <gasps> I no. don't know how true much of it is. It's probably... It, Dramatized. It's probably a big pile of shit now looking back mm-hmm. on it. But it had its moment in the mm-hmm. early 2000s. And it's about this like white guy who left Australia. He was like a bank robber or something. I can't remember, mm-hmm. whatever. The gals misremember. And he flees to <laughs> India to like lie low because mm-hmm. he's a wanted man. And then he lives right. in India for like 15 years and like has all mm. these wild experiences. Yeah. Fucking this guy wishes. Julian fucking wishes. Yeah. No. <laughs> d- d- not a success. So Indian authorities sent his ass back to Australia where he was greeted at the gate by police and arrested once again. This time to be held without any bail because he's a fucking racist pedophile flight risk. He was sentenced to seven years and nine months jail for the original offenses and an additional six months to be served for skipping bail uh, for which he pleaded guilty. But Julian wasn't going to give up and he filed an appeal against his conviction and sentence in the Victorian Court of Appeals, claiming miscarriage of justice and mishandling of his case by his legal team, as well as a like an unfair amount of time spent behind bars, which I'm sorry, you seven years. traumatized a child. And yeah. and even if you didn't actually have penetrative sex with her, you still right. sexually assaulted her. A thousand percent. It was coercion and that yeah. he risked both of their lives. You cut 100%. her clothes off with a yep. knife while yep. wearing a balaclava. They could have fucking frozen to death. It was they yeah. could have, She could have died of exposure and hypothermia. Yeah. 
So it was re- it was refused unanimously by justices uh, whose names are not important, justices in Australia, who found that there had been no substantial miscarriage of justice and that the sentencing had been more than fair. And frankly, I think it's a slap on the wrist for yeah. the kind of shit this fucking guy did to this poor girl. And then he tried to run away and all he got was seven fucking years and like yeah. six months. Yeah. Like, fuck you. Whatever. So I'll finish this out. He He served his sentence in Australia. I'm not sure where he is now. One article I read said that Julian was deported back to Germany because he, like, was born there and, like, didn't have full, like, singular Australian citizenship. And, and now he's he might a have felon. Had dual and citizenship, so like, and now he's a felon. Exactly. So they sent him back to Germany after being released from prison in Australia, which would be a big change for him because he grew up in Australia. He only speaks English. He doesn't speak a lick of German. He knows or like, Hindi. nobody. Or Hindi. <laughs> He knows, like, nobody there other than maybe some distant relatives that he's probably, like, pretty much never met. So, well, fuck him. Yeah, good luck to him, I guess. Jesus Christ. What a psycho. And that's my case. Wow. Isn't that nuts? That Both is... of your cases were fucking absurd. So absurd. We we went we went all the way on this one. They both we had to. to be made into movies. People are insane. Yeah. Yeah. Really insane. Certifiable. Uh, anyway. Good work, and, ladies. And one more yeah. person is insane for supporting us, but we love you for it. Thank you, Gabby Folk, our fan picker. And thanks to your we mom you. and your sister. Yeah. Thanks God for bless. being a gateway gal. You're welcome. You're, yeah. You're so sweet. <laughs> we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers! Cheers!